Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, from, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I've been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. I want you to understand what you just read. He's standing up, and now he just fell back down. He is overcome. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Verse 21, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. In this chapter, chapter 10, Daniel receives a vision and a visitation from an angel. Daniel has just finished a partial 21-day fast during the feasts of Passover and then again during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we learn from verses 1 through 4. We're given the duration of the fast, 21 days. The location of the fast. He's on the banks of the Tigris River, verse 4. There's a fascinating description of the angel that was given in verses 5 and 6. We're told that this angel's appearance was like a radiant gem, if you will. And then we saw Daniel's reaction in verses 7 and 8. Daniel's faint and weak with fear in 
in, in verses 7 and 8. This leads to the angel's reassurance in verses 9 through 12. And then this revelation in verse 14. And then the resistance that the angel receives during the course of answering Daniel's prayers and pleas and petitions for his people in verse 13. And then again in verses 15 through 20. It gives us a glimpse into this invisible world, this world where there are combatants, angelic beings, spirit beings. There's an invisible war that is apparently taking place all around us. These are angelic warriors. And they seem to be engaged in a fierce battle. And where exactly is this happening? According to the Bible, it would appear that the battleground is not necessarily terrestrial, but celestial. It is in the air. It's in the heavens. How do we know this? In the book of Revelation, we're given a hint and then a description. It says, for there was war in heaven. And you would think if any place there was the absence of war, it would be in heaven. Typically, we think about heaven as the place of joy and peace and the freedom from conflict. There's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, it says. This future contest seems to be taking place during times of tribulation. And then there is a time of future tribulation that's going to occupy the earth and also occupy the heavens. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, the dragon will be vanquished and he'll be driven out of heaven where he will be confined to restrict his activities on the earth alone. At present, we discover that this supernatural demonic prince who is called the prince of the power of the air in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, seeming as a description of the atmosphere around us. We have no way of knowing how these spirit beings fight. We have no way of knowing what their weapons are. We have no way of knowing what the consequences are. But we have every reason to believe that Angels can't be killed. They can be hindered. They can be wounded. They can be restricted. They can be restrained. Gleason Archer writes, quote, Without flesh and blood, they are evil spirit beings who occupy assigned terrestrial regions. And he draws our attention to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 calling it the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, unquote. 
Again, it's encouraging for God's people to know that he has mighty champions among the holy angels who are able to defend the saints against the evil one, unquote. James says, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. If you refuse to submit to God, if you refuse to resist the devil, then you become at risk. We begin with the angel's reassurance. Look what it says in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. We see his position. He is on his hands and knees, and he's trembling. And the angel offers a gentle touch. He tenderly lifts Daniel, who's trembling on bended knees and shaking hands. Verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Remember, I told you what the meaning of that word is. It is precious. It is a word that you use to describe something of inestimable value, of riches, And understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. He goes from the bottom. He is now standing. He is trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come. Note what it says. Because of your words. This is going to be important later on. The words Daniel speaks indicate his own frailty, vulnerability, fear. He is shaking, verse 11. And no wonder the angel says, do not Fear, Daniel. Think about what we've already learned. He has been in a fast. The time of fasting is over. The time for feasting has now come. In what sense? It's a revelation. God is going to give information, vital information that are going to help the Jewish people as they navigate the difficult road that's ahead of them. And so the angel, again, reminds him and gives him reassurance. The angel reminds him that he's beloved in verse 11. He is sent in response to Daniel's humility and confession and persistent prayer in verse 12. The angel says, and I have come because of your words. In other words, remember what we learn in the New Testament, the fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous avail much. Your prayers do matter. You might think that you're speaking to the sky. You might think that these are empty words. But when you get down on your knees and you pray for your children, you pray for your spouse, you pray for your church, you pray for your country. When you plead with God about the spiritual condition, 
both for yourself and for others, God is hearing. The angel says, I've come in response to your words. Now, there's a clear biblical example here of God sending an angel in response to the prayers of a human being. And it would seem that the focus of Daniel's prayers, remember, have consisted of the promises and the prophecies that surround Israel's future. Remember, Daniel has been thinking and praying, contemplating and considering what God has said, that the children of Israel are going to return. They're going to rebuild their temple. He's thinking about how all of this is going to unfold. And again, we're greatly impressed with the angel's use of the phrase, man greatly beloved. Now, the careful reader of the Bible might think, wait a minute, time out. I thought God loved everybody. I mean, doesn't the Bible say in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? The answer is yes. But some people, some people seem to be the recipients of God's extraordinary favor. In what sense? That there's an extraordinary comfort and strength There might be an extraordinary gifting. There might be an extraordinary healing. There could be an extraordinary circumstance where God takes you and says, you know what, I have a special plan and a special purpose for you, the one that only you can accomplish. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a recipient of God's extraordinary favor? And I'm going to suggest to you that if you're saved, you are a recipient of God's extraordinary favor. Your sin has been forgiven. Grace has been imparted. Promises have been made. A future has been made secure. And if you've never thought about the extraordinary favor that God has given to you, you might begin to think about it right now. You might begin to think about his preservation of your life. You might begin to think about how God has orchestrated everything in order to bring you to this place and this circumstance. Now, there's much that could be said about this passage. We could speak of the ministry of angels and the comfort and the aid of saints, and that is true. We could mention the supreme importance of prayer, which we've done week after week. For the person who doubts the benefits and the blessings of intercessory prayer, we don't have to look any further than Daniel. This passage is by no means the only example of the Bible's testimony that God answers prayers. We We could spend the next several weeks and months talking about how Abraham prays for Sodom and Hezekiah for Jerusalem, Jonah for the citizens of of Nineveh, Jacob prays for deliverance from his brother Esau, David prays for deliverance from Saul, Gideon prays for a sign, Samson prays for strength, David prays for forgiveness. The examples are overwhelming. But it gives you an insight into what is available. This extraordinary favor. 
particularly if what you need is forgiveness or a sign or deliverance. And so we go to the angel's resistance in verse 13. Look what it says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. The exact amount of time that Daniel was praying and fasting. And look what it says. Behold, Mishael, one in the image, his name, Michael, means who is like God or in the image or the likeness of God. Look what it says. One of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kingdoms of Persia were introduced to another sp spirit being, a supernatural being, apparently a hierarchical being of enormous strength and enormous power. He comes and intercedes and supports what looks like a lesser being with lesser power. Now, again, in verse 12, we learned from the first day, Daniel's prayer was heard in heaven. And it must have been very comforting for, for Daniel to learn that from the moment that he began to pray, that his prayer was heard. From the moment that he, he prayed, his prayers were heard. Now, this brings up something very important. Delay. Maybe you've been praying about something for a very long time. You've been praying about where you should go and what you should do. You've been praying about your life. You've been praying about your marriage. You've been praying about your job. You've been praying about your future. And you go, I have an answer to my prayer in this particular area, but there seems to be opposition. Why isn't God hearing my prayer? This passage tells us he is hearing your prayer. The issue isn't whether or not he's hearing your prayer. The issue that we have to ask and answer is why is it being delayed? Now we discover the reasons at least for Daniel in his delay. God has dispatched an angel in response to Daniel's prayer. But now we learn something. We learn that there's sometimes resistance Satanic activity can sometimes serve as an obstacle and a hindrance to prayer. There are oppositions in place. By the way, this isn't the only example of God dispatching an angel in, in response to prayer. Some of you may be familiar with the New Testament story in Acts chapter 12. I don't have time to read the chapter to you, but I just want to remind you that Herod had moved against James and Peter. They were both arrested and incarcerated, and Herod had James, the brother of John, killed. And Herod, according to the passage, purposed to execute Peter as well before the Passover because Herod learned something. That by stopping Christians, incarcerating Christians, punishing Christians, and killing Christians, he gained favor with the Jewish people. The big question for me has always been, well, why did God allow James to die? And why will God dispatch an angel to spring Peter from the slammer? 
There could be any number of reasons, but it seems to me that the overwhelming reason is because God in his grace and his mercy loved James way more than he loved Peter. (laughs) And it could very well be that he had unfinished business with Peter. That there was a plan and a purpose and a ministry that he was yet to accomplish. In chapter 12 it says, but earnest prayer. It says, but earnest prayer was going up to God from the church for his safety. They began praying and interceding all the time he was in prison. It says in Acts chapter 12 verse 5, the night before he was to be executed, asleep and chained between two soldiers with others standing guard at the, at the base camp, an angel slapped him and said, wake up. Quick, get up. And the chains, it says in the text, fell from his wrist. The angel told him to get dressed, put on his shoes, and let's get out of here. Peter thought it might be a dream or a vision, and he followed the angel to the gates and then to the street. And according to the book of Acts, Peter follows the angel for about a block, and then the angel leaves him, and then Peter makes his way to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where they're gathered for this prayer meeting. He knocks at the gate. He knocks at the gate. As he's knocking at the gate, a girl named Rhoda comes and recognizes Peter's voice. They're praying on the inside. Oh, Lord, Lord, send, save Peter. Rescue Peter. Save Peter. Rescue Peter. And there's, there's Peter at the gate. He's knocking at the door. And then she goes, I think I heard Peter at the gate. And they say, that's impossible. It must be a ghost. I want you to think what's happening in the text. They're begging and pleading to God to answer their prayer, to make sure that Peter is released. And guess what? It's already been done. By the way, when Herod finds out that this has happened, he orders all of the guards on duty executed. The people who are closest to Peter... He executed him. The people who are on the outside of the gate, he executed him. The people who are surrounding in that prison, Herod put them to death. There are consequences. We never know what's going on in the invisible realm. We never know exactly, completely. A prayer delayed isn't a prayer denied. And by the way, there can be any number of reasons why prayer is either delayed or hindered. Satanic resistance is one reason. It's probably not the most likely reason, but it is a reason. Other reasons include We refuse to confess our sins, Psalm 66, 18. We're insincere in our requests, Matthew 6, 5. We have carnal or selfish motives. James chapter 4 says, you ask and you have not because you're doing it in a way that is inconsistent with what God wants for you. You have selfish motives. Unbelief, James chapter 1 says, can hinder our prayer. You don't really believe it. Peter tells husbands to live with their wives and honor them. He says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Your problems in your home, in your marriage, between husband and wife can serve as an obstacle. Pride, selfishness, refusing to forgive all become obstacles to prayer. According to the Bible, 
refusing, refusing to submit to biblical teaching can be an obstacle to prayer. There's a lot of reasons why your prayers can be hindered. It isn't like one size fits all. But what all of those things have in common is it should cause you to say, Lord, like the psalmist said, Search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, reveal to me what's going on inside of my heart or what's going on around me. We know that this prince of Persia isn't a human being. He's some kind of satanic being that supervises the affairs of that region or perhaps that civilization. When I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but thinking what constitutes modern Persia. You know what country it is? It's the country of Iran. Do you know what Iran is desperately trying to get? Nuclear capability. Do you know the focus of the animosity that is taking place in the Middle East as People in their rhetoric say, we should kill these Jewish people and we should drive them into the sea. Last week, there was an announcement made that Israeli scientists may have found the cure for cancer. My father died from cancer. My wife is a cancer survivor, twice. I'm looking around this room, and as I look at this room, I see cancer survivor after cancer, survivor after cancer, survivor. And if you know someone, if you have a loved one that you care about who has cancer, raise your hand just quickly. Look around you. Look around you. Can you imagine? Jewish scientists find the cure for cancer. Pause for a moment. Do you think this is going to make anti-Semitism go away? You laugh. Imagine you say, well, wait a minute. My family has been diagnosed with cancer, but we should still drive the Jews into the sea. Well, what if they provide a cure for cancer? I don't care. What if millions and millions of lives are saved? Don't care. Now, again, I want you to understand this. There's an invisible war. There is a perpetual animosity and hostility that doesn't reasonably make sense unless there are supernatural beings involved. The angel reveals a hostile confrontation. The confrontation began the moment Daniel's prayer was received in the headquarters of heaven. We're given additional information that this other being, a supernatural being, Michael, comes to the aid of the angel Gabriel. The angel discloses that he had been left alone with the kings, plural, of Persia. Apparently, there are several spirit beings working in cooperation to resist the plan of God. F.F. Bruce may be the leading scholar of the 20th century concerning the New Testament, wrote, Satan and his demon forces rank among the highest and angel princes in the hierarchy of heavenly places. Yet all of them owe their existence to Christ. 
through whom they were created, Colossians 1.16. Jesus made everything. And who is accordingly the head of all principality and power, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. But some, at least, of the principalities and powers have embarked upon rebellion against God. And not only seek to force men to pay them that, the worship that is due him, but launched an assault upon the crucified Christ at a time when they thought they had him at their mercy. But he far from suffering their assault without resistance, grappled with them, overcame them, stripped them of their armor, driving them before him in his triumphal procession, Colossians 2.15. Paul, writing in the book of Colossians, sees this supernatural triumph that has taken place because of the victory of Jesus. And now we think about what James said. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. How do you submit to God? By embracing Jesus as your Savior, by loving him, by believing him, by trusting him. F.F. Bruce says, thus the hostile powers of evil which Christians must encounter are already vanquished powers. It's only through faith union with the victorious Christ that Christians can make his triumph theirs. That's how you submit to God. That's how you resist the devil. That's how you put on the armor of God. We appear to be at war on several fronts. There's a supernatural, invisible war around us. There's an internal conflict raging within us. The Bible says we have the world and the flesh and the devil as our enemies. And as I have repeatedly said to you, we have three powerful champions. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father has overcome the world. The Spirit lives inside of you. Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil. And so the angel mentions another angel, Mishael, whose name means who is like God. He comes, he joins the fight. Now again, some Bible scholars see in Michael this most powerful angel. Quite likely, the most powerful angel it would appear that Satan has been tasked with certain abilities and there are certain powerful fallen spirit beings who occupy and disrupt human hosts and human governments and perhaps even human civilizations. And it would appear that Daniel's prayer serves in some way to fuel the resistance between these creatures. We also know that the believer, again, faces opposition, but we've been given supernatural provision. This is why Paul encourages the believer, again, to put on the whole armor. I don't have time to give you a whole Bible study on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, but if I did, and I have, you would get it at the media room. Just ask James or go online. Go to our website. 
type in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24, where I did a series on this particular subject, outlining this. It's in that passage, very briefly, that Paul exhorts the believer, be strong in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Find strength in God's mighty power. Prepare yourself. Put on God's armor, verse 11. And the implication is do it every day. Do it every day. You don't just put, you don't just put on the armor and, and you go and we're done. There seems to be an emphasis that there is something that you have to suit up time after time after time. Stand firm, verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Pray always, uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Pray for others. Pray for yourself in verse 18. Paul then describes our, our enemies as cunning and crafty in verse 11. He describes his demonic cohorts in verse 12. He describes the believer's equipment, the belt of truth, verse 14. The body armor of God's righteousness, verse 14. The sandals of the good news, verse 15. The shield of faith, verse 16. The helmet of salvation, verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, verse 17. So we understand at least how to equip ourselves and how we can respond. And then we go from the angel's reassurance to the angel's resistance to now the revelation. Look what it says in verse 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. Pause for a moment. Because in that single sentence, I've come to make you understand what will happen. This is the reason why this conflict has been taking place. God, remember what Daniel has prayed. Help me understand what's going to happen. God says, I want to answer that prayer. I've been sent to answer the prayer. God wants you to understand what's going to happen to your people. By the way. The understanding is going to take place in chapter 11. In other words, the vital information that's necessary for Israel's survival. This message is going to be delivered in chapter 11. And so the angel lays out the scope of his, of his mission. It's vital that you understand your future. The angel is clear. It's far away. It's going to happen in the latter days. By the way, when Daniel uses that expression, latter days, it usually means two things, obviously. It means the future, but it also means a future where there's opposition, where there's tribulation, where there's difficulty. And so the angel's mission, to make you understand what's going to happen. So Daniel's people are going to face persecution, opposition, tribulation, that's leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And you can never lose sight of that. Why are you suffering? Why is there tribulation? Why is there persecution? Let me be as blunt as I possibly can. The whole Bible and the whole story of salvation 
is a story about how you can have a right relationship with God in Christ. It's so that your sin can be forgiven and you can be reconciled with God. And so this powerful story is a powerful story that is intended for you to understand and strengthen you in that relationship. And so in verse 15, look what it says. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. When he turns his face towards the ground, I'm going to suggest to you, Remember, he's come from on his hands and knees. He's got up. One of two things is either happening. When he says, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Either he's face planted. In other words, he's overwhelmed. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you lost consciousness. Where you're walking along, minding your own business. Maybe you got hit. Maybe you were traumatized in some way. Maybe something happened where you just are traumatized. He's either face planted at this point. Look what it says in verse 16. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons, Benelo, ben, ben, this is a, the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. I've retained no strength. Another translation, I think, rightly says, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me. I'm powerless. The angel's revelation creates this visceral response on the part of Daniel. His face is pointed down or he's down. His speech is gone. So how do we explain Daniel's re reaction? How do we explain his reaction, this overwhelming reaction? He's literally out of it. Is it age? Is it weakness from being in the presence of an angel? Is he stunned by the revelation? Has his prayers and the violent combat in the spirit world, is he, is he on information overload? Was it the prospect of more violence and more pain and more tribulation for the people of God? What's happening? It could very well be a combination of all of those things. Piled, one on top of the other. The encounter leaves Daniel speechless. And it prompts the angel on, to touch him on the surface of his lips. Daniel is now given strength to open up his mouth. My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. Verse 17, for how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me, nor is my breath left in me. When I was a kid playing football, I was that person that you see who catches the, the, the ball when they, when they kick off. Remember the poor, sad person who has to catch the ball and then run through this gauntlet and, and get hit? You know why? It's because I could run the fastest and I was the most frightened. <laughs> One time I got hit so hard that the paddings literally came out from under me. And 
the wind was knocked out of me. Steen, you understand. You've been hit so hard where you, air goes away. You can't breathe. You're struggling. I don't think Daniel's complaining here in verse 17. Some Bible teachers say, well, maybe he feels inadequate. Maybe he feels unworthy. Maybe he feels unable to speak to such a glorious being. Whatever is happening, anxiety has brought paralysis, shortness of breath, if you've ever had a heart attack, if you've ever had a terrifying experience, if you've ever been involved in some sort of traumatic experience, and you suffer like this, it's a good thing. And let me tell you why. It means your central nervous system is working. I remember when Ronald Reagan was shot, and this... And, and the person said, I remember when Ronald Reagan was shot, he got shot, he continues waving, and he didn't know he was shot. And the, the person said, I don't know about you, but I, I want a president who, when he's shot, he knows he's shot. I want a president with a central nervous system. Well, that's exactly what's happening. There's a central nervous system. I've worked with fear and anxiety and trauma your heart rate increases. Your vision becomes narrow. It's called tunnel vision. You, you notice your muscles become tense. You begin to sweat. Your hearing becomes more sensitive. All of these changes are a part of the fight or flight syndrome. As the name implies, these changes are preparing you for action. They're pre preparing you to run for your life or freeze. You know, like a deer caught in headlights. All of these adaptive bodily responses God has entrusted us with to keep us alive. And all of these responses are important to our survival and they occur quickly and, and without thought. They're automatic. And so here's Daniel. I think traumatized. In verse 18, it says, then again, the one having the likeness of man touched me and strengthened me. This is the third time in the chapter that angelic, supernatural support is going to be necessary for Daniel to simply go forward. And the angel says, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Now, I want you to understand something. This isn't just a suggestion that the angel is doing. Apparently, there's some sort of supernatural impartation where peace and strength become a part of the supernatural impartation. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? When I read that, again, remember he says, I've come to you to let you know. Remember he's traumatized. It's like the angel is, is looking at him going, Daniel, snap out of it. Are you with me, Daniel? Daniel, do you remember why I'm here? I think that's exactly what's happening. The angel's saying, Daniel, focus, focus. We, we've got to fulfill the mission, Focus. And by the way, he says, 
I must return to the fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. This angelic being has to return and continue the battle. The angel intimates that once he leaves and confronts the prince of Persia, another supernatural demonic prince of Greece must come. This seems to be a succession of civilizations. Here we're given a hint, not just of global kingdoms, but how these global kingdoms are directed and energized by supernatural powers. And the text is fascinating. It would seem that Satan has assigned evil, wicked, supernatural beings with the task of influencing human leadership on the world stage. And again, I think it's interesting that Persia and Greece are going to also figure prominently in the unfolding circumstances of Israel and the Jewish people. And that's why the text brings it to our attention. In verse 21, it says, but I'm going to tell you what's noted in the scripture of truth. And this parenthetical note, no one upholds me against these except Mishael, your prince. What? Before the angel leaves, he says, Daniel, I need to remind you why I've come. Daniel, remember, I'm tasked with revealing the contents of the future in what he calls, look at the text, the scripture of truth. Now there's a broad interpretation of what this might mean. Is this a divine book that contains God's plans for human beings and the nations in which they live? Could this be a book that describes God's sovereign decrees. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 11 says, remember the former things of old. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish my purpose. Any book come to mind? Any revelation that you can think of off the top of your head? Is there the preservation of some book that begins at the beginning and goes all the way to the book of the end? It's called the book of Revelation. This is why studying the Bible could be not just the most important thing that you'll ever do, but if you've ever, ever, ever wanted to know the truth, this is where you find it. We're given a parenthetical note. No one upholds me except these, the prince of Persia, and the combatant with the prince of Greece, except Michael. This angel seems tasked with the protection and the preservation of God's people. The angel says, your prince. And you might be thinking, I wonder who my prince is. 
And by that, if you mean, well, is there a prince for the United States of America? Is there a prince for Western United States? Is there a prince for Colorado? Is there a prince for the Columbine Valley? I'm going to suggest to you that none of that really is all that important. There's only one prince that matters. Your prince is the prince of peace. You don't have an angelic being standing guard over you. You have the supernatural, powerful, uncreated second person of the Trinity who is the Prince of Peace, who is completely God and completely human, guiding, guarding, directing. Apparently, God has left divine, sovereign, Instruction on the rules of engagement. What is allowed, what isn't allowed in this supernatural confrontation? The rules of engagement is found from Genesis to Revelation. Michael acts to help lesser-ranked angels ensure that Daniel is going to receive the instructions and the answers to his prayer. Dan Michael is going to stand up for Israel during the tribulation. Do you know how we know? Just turn the page real quick to chapter 12, verse 10. Look what it says. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so, this same angel disputes with Satan concerning the body of Moses in Jude chapter 9. You'll remember that in the book of Jude, God has some sort of plan for the body of Moses and, and this archangel Michael doesn't bring a railing accusation against Satan, but rather says, the Lord rebuke you. So this angel, this angel fights with Satan in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, verse 1, when it comes to cleansing heaven, the, this, the angel says, I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Whatever that means, it must mean that there appears to be a bank of information that is available to the angel that he's allowed to disclose And guess what? The world is full of skeptics and cynics and critics who say, this is all nonsense. I've been listening to you, Gino. This, is, this sounds like an ancient superstition. Invisible forces that affect the visible world? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that you have an unconscious or a subconscious that acts invisibly inside of you? Are there things that you do, whether you like it or not? The philosophical naturalist believes in random, blind, undirected forces that can bring lifeless matter into you. Well, that's nature. Blind, invisible forces working on matter... 
you think I'm the crazy one. You think I'm the nut. It's interesting to me. The Bible tells us the truth. The Bible reveals there are evil supernatural forces that have access to the spirits of men and women and that these spirits can influence and manipulate their human hosts. In the scripture, we have Satan saying, we have Satan saying, all this power I will give you and the glory of them for that is delivered to me. Whomever I will, I give it in Luke chapter four, verses five and six. He then invites Jesus to worship Satan. And Satan says, all this will be yours, verse 7. Jesus doesn't dispute the devil's claim. Rather, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan is in a bitter battle with God. He wants worship and power. Satan discourages people through a number of different strategies. He arouses people to deny God and rebel against God. So that they won't know God's will. Or they'll be frustrated with God's will. Or they'll become impatient with God's will. And that might be you. You've prayed. Maybe even fasted. You've suffered hardship and crisis. You feel like your prayers are unanswered. But Jesus has broken the power of Satan. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus means that he's triumphed and conquered the power of Satan. And in James when it says, submit to the Lord. Resist the devil. And he will flee. We're given the solution to the supernatural circumstances that we might encounter. And by the way, when we take communion, that's what we're doing in part. We're submitting to God. We're resisting the devil. We're acknowledging what Jesus has done in our life. We're acknowledging his sacrifice. We're acknowledging his suffering and sacrifice that brings us to a place of peace and strength. You don't necessarily have to have an angel whisper in your ear, peace, strength. Jesus comes to you. He says, my peace I give you and my peace I will remain with you. We're going to have communion here in just a minute. Um, I'm going to have the worship team come up what I want you to do during the course of the, the worship, I'm, while they're coming up, I'm just going to pray for you and, and pray for the communion. During the course of the communion, when you feel led, well, actually, you know what? I'm just going to do it now. We're going to have communion now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we commit this time to you. Lord, again, for the person who's weak and frail, Lord, I pray that you would impart strength. For the person who's suffering in the midst of conflict and hostility, Lord, I pray that you'd bring peace. Not just the peace that comes from the absence of hostility, but the peace that comes from a real relationship with you.
that the rebellion is put down and peace is possible. And so, Lord, even now as we partake of communion, Lord, we remember the suffering and the death of Jesus. We, re we remember what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body which will be broken for you. Again, the Bible says he gave thanks and praise. He gave the cup and he said, take this and drink from it, all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant which blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, as we partake in this bread and we participate in this juice, Lord, we pray that you would impart peace and strength that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together.